In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, part one of a two-part conversation with two researcher documentary filmmakers who uncover the connection between a secret government UFO program and a black magic ritual. The fact that he had eyes to see the Majestic 12 documents the, the fact that he knew all about this and that he had interest in these things and not to mention Eisenhower was not a Christian. So I really do believe that he probably saw these things as the old ones, the ancient ones. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. A donation of $50 a month places you in the star chamber. $20 a month is the whistleblower tier, and a donation of just $10 per month makes you a truth seeker. Star Chamber and whistleblower members can participate in an exclusive monthly online chat or video conference with me, and all donors are entered into a monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet patreon.com forward slash strange planet conspiracy unlimited with richard serres pursuing the truth wherever it leads exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. The Brothers Fall, filmmakers Justin and Wes Fall are standing by to discuss their new documentary, Higher Entities, The Lost Tapes. 
Before that, I just published my June edition of Inner Sanctum. That's my free monthly newsletter. If you haven't subscribed, it's free and it's very simple to subscribe. Just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca and scroll down to the bottom. You'll see the banner for Inner Sanctum. Click on it and you'll be prompted to register. Just plug in your email address and you're good to go. And then you'll start receiving Inner Sanctum next month for free, delivered right to your email inbox. Uh, my next guests have pieced together a harrowing story involving a secret government UFO program. Jack Parsons, the founder of JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, infamous occultist Alistair Crowley, and L. Ron Hubbard. After years of research and countless interviews with witnesses, their conclusion is rather stark. The U.S. government is aware that UFO and alien abduction phenomena have nothing to do with extraterrestrials and everything to do with the demonic realm. Justin and Wes Fall are veteran researchers and filmmakers specializing in the areas of theology, world religion, the occult, and supernatural paranormal phenomena with a biblical perspective. The two are writers, directors, and producers of Fall Brothers Productions. Justin is the founder and host of the Fourth Watch Radio Network. And their new documentary from Fourth Watch Films is Higher Entities, The Lost Tapes. Justin and Wes Fall, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Richard, thank you. Richard, hey, thank you so much, brother. It's good to be back with you again. Let me just invite either of you to jump in at any point. Uh, Justin, Wes, don't be shy. I'm not going to direct these questions to anyone in particular, but whoever wants to take the ball and run with it, please do so. Let's begin this story in the 1940s. Tell us a little bit about one of the co-founders of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, Jack Parsons. Who was he? Jack Parsons is a man who had brought so much to the table in his lifetime that without his work, Without the technology breakthroughs that, that came through his hands, uh, we would not have the NASA that we have today. We would not have jet propulsion. I'm not saying somebody else would not have come along likely down the road, but so much of what we have today with our technology, military applications, rocket technology, NASA, uh, so much of this, Richard, uh, came through the hands of Jack Parsons. I think it's really important to also note that Jack Parsons was not formally trained. Okay, this is kind of a kind of a little spooky uh, little nugget. This is a guy that brought more technology breakthroughs than anybody else that I've ever heard of in history, yet he had no formal training. And it's interesting that he literally was channeling. He, he was involving himself when he was not in the lab. Uh, imagine, if you will, you have a hard worker and he's working in the lab and then he goes home like everybody goes home and they, they kick their feet up. They have a beer. They watch TV, but not Jack Parsons. Jack Parsons goes home and he engages in sex magic rituals while everybody else is having dinner and everybody else is cozied up around the fire, the radio, Jack Parsons is out communicating with spirits, inviting spirits into his body, seeking spirit guides, seeking technology to be given through rituals. We're talking black magic. We're talking black magic, sex magic. We're talking taking rituals that were written about by Aleister Crowley. And then he was taking those rituals and even uh, creating addendums. <laughs> I mean, this is the guy that was literally taking rituals from Aleister Crowley, and he was reworking them himself. And Aleister Crowley seemed to be totally okay with it uh, because later on, Aleister Crowley actually set him up as the head of one of the Thelemic orders uh, in his area in California. For those not familiar with Aleister Crowley, perhaps one of the most nefarious characters in all of history, which he delighted in. He was, as you mentioned, with the Dual Society and a Thelema. Well, it was an occult. Yes, exactly. So this was a practitioner of the dark arts, Aleister Crowley. He was a Luciferian Moses. A Luciferian Moses. Interesting. Did Parsons and Crowley ever meet? Now, we do believe that they did meet, yes. We believe that there was a meeting that took place, could not have been uh, a whole lot before Parsons blew himself up. I, I don't want to jump too far ahead okay. on there. But what we do know, uh, whether they met or not, because I can't prove that they met, there's speculation. What we do know is that there were uh, at least a couple letters addressed from Crowley to Parsons directly. All right. So by day, a rocket scientist, 
not formally trained, and at night, a practitioner of black magic, sex magic, the dark arts, basically. Okay, so there's also an affiliation with the founder of Scientology and the science fiction writer, L. Ron Hubbard. How does he fit in with Parsons and Crowley? Both of them were disciples of Crowley. And so they were, uh, they were working their way up into the, the higher orders of that. It's very compartmentalized and very demonic at its base. But you, um, you had this, we're all, we're working our way towards this Babylon working ritual, which both Parsons and Hubbard, uh, they performed. And it was, um, it was taking what Aleister Crowley had done in the Amalantra working, and I believe that was 1918, and the, uh, in, in Giza, I believe it was. And so when that happened, just to kind of go back a little bit and then move forward, um, he, he was successful in bringing over this entity, Lamb. So back in 1918, Crowley successfully opened up a portal, ripped the hole in, time, in space-time, and this entity, Lamb, came through. And, and he was also successful. I don't know if it was the same ritual or if it was something different, but he had a, another entity, uh, Iwas, uh, is what he called them, uh, that came through too. So, so we have Crowley that was successful in, in all of his workings and, you know, called himself the beast. He pre-prided himself in this. And so from him, you have uh, just the two that we're focusing on, two of his disciples, uh, Parsons and Hubbard. And then they performed, this is through um, the mid to, to late, I think it was, there's different dates and, and you can kind of try to uh, nail it down, but I believe it was uh, 45, 46 is when the Babylon working ritual was taking place. And the crazy thing about it and how it ties into the story, you can read about it in Parsons' own biography. He says that they were successful in bringing across the goddess of Babylon and incarnating her in human form. Okay, so let me just circle back here for a second, because there's some people who may not be fully aware of who Aleister Crowley was. This Amalantra ritual that he performed in the, the Great Pyramid of Giza in Egypt, these are demonic entities he's hoping to bring through this portal, correct? I mean, I don't have my book of demonology in front of me, but those two that you mentioned, Lamb and the other one, are they demons? Um, yeah, they're either, I, I, you get down to semantics on, um, you know, are they demons or are they fallen angels? You know, it's, I think it's going to differ between the person that you, you speak to about it. But uh, I believe, you know, taking on human form, taking on a physical form, um, I would have to say that they're they're not demons. They're definitely demonic in nature, but that they are either, you know, fallen angels or what we call higher entities. Higher Entities, the name of the new documentary from Justin and Wes Fall from Fourth Watch Films, Higher Entities, The Lost Tapes. All right, so Jack Parsons wanted to basically replicate the Amalantra ritual. Did he do it at JPL, at the laboratory itself? We actually have reason to believe that when they were doing these rituals, the series of rituals, we believe that it was taking place out in the desert, in the California desert. We don't have any evidence to show that they were doing it inside of a lab per se, but we do have evidence that they were going out into the desert quite frequently, that they were doing some testing out there. Actually, Jack Parsons spent quite a bit of time in the desert doing some of his brick-and-mortar testing on rockets. But, again, he was doing a lot of this stuff off the record. He didn't even get connected with academia until later on. We have to remember that when you don't have credentials, you can have the best science in the world, but without credentials, you're not just going to walk right up inside of these elite academia meetings. So it was a process for him, and and that's something that doesn't really pertain to this story so much, but I want to throw that in there that he had to do a lot of this stuff kind of in the dark until he got more widely accepted. And do we know why Jack Parsons, what the purpose, his motive was for trying to summon this entity through this portal using the Babylon working ritual? Absolutely. I I think we have a pretty good understanding of this. Jack Parsons, as with many occultists, they believe the Bible, Richard. I know this is going to sound absolutely crazy to someone listening right now, but there are a lot of people who practice magic, and they fully believe the Bible with all of their heart, except they believe that their God is going to win in the end. So they, they look at the Bible as totally true, they just look at it as, you know, basically it's going to end differently than the, than the Bible says. They look at it as a historical. It's definitely a spiritual book, but they say that God and Jesus, that that is actually the opposite force, the evil force, and that Lucifer is the underdog. You know, the beginning of time, Lucifer was the good guy. He's basically been uh, misunderstood. So with that mindset, 
Jack Parsons knew what the end times prophecies declared. And, you know, you get into this idea of the final Babylon, the Babylonian system that's going to be the final Babylon. And you get into this horror of Babylon. You get into this idea of these crazy spiritual principalities that the Bible talks about that are going to be unleashed on the face of the earth during this last time known as the, 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 what we call the Great Tribulation. And he knew that this was going to happen, and I think he was trying to get a head start in trying to summon what he believed to be a physical manifestation of this Babylonian whore, this this harlot, depending on what Bible translation you're using. Uh, she's known as a great whore or a harlot. But here's the thing. Parsons really believed that this was going to come to fruition. He just didn't believe that the Bible had the ending correct. And so Parsons and Hubbard wanted to bring about this Babylonian whore, this personification, if you will. And they believed that this entity was going to come through the portal and that it was going to impregnate, that there was going to be something in the sexual act that the woman who got impregnated during this sexual ritual, that the child she was going to give birth to was going to be the moon child. Okay, now the Aleister Crowley talked about the moon child. They believed that the moon child was going to come through and that, interestingly, that it was going to be a woman who was going to rise up to fame and power. She was going to be charismatic. She was going to be doing all sorts of political moves, changing the way things were, international status. And they believe she was literally going to help usher in this final world ruler that the Bible calls the Antichrist. Parsons knew that. He believed it. He wrote about it in his writings. And what's crazy is that this entity declared to be Hilarion. Now, Hilarion, this is crazy. Matter of fact, when people go to our uh, our Vimeo channel, we have just released a director's cut of a new film. We've not released it yet through Fourth Watch Films, and it gets into a deeper understanding of Babylon working. But what we do is we break down why all signs point to Hillary Clinton as being this child that was born. <laughs> yeah, the Hillary. dates are about right. I mean, that would coincide. I'm not sure how old she is. Is she 72, 73? A year later, she was born. Ah, Okay. There's a lot of very strange information we break down in another film on that, but I just want to drop that info out there that they were not trying to bring about the Antichrist. They were trying to bring about someone who was going to be a forerunner, someone who was going to be almost a John the Baptist of the Antichrist, who was going to really help pave the way for this spiritual, political, religious entity to kind of enter into the scene. All right. In 1947, a couple of years later, we have really the birth of the modern-day UFO phenomena. We have Kenneth Arnold, and we have Roswell, and we have the Aztec UFO incident, a number of other incidents around New Mexico. So what is the connection then between this Babylon working ritual performed out in the desert and what's going on 1947? So they started to notice, you had Project Blue Book that opened up there, and so they were, they were noticing that there was this influx and the UFO phenomenon, everything that you just mentioned, Richard. Um, they, they started to take note of that. The government was, was watching. Uh, I have to go back to the, and Darren breaks this down in our film, he calls it the used aircraft incident. And so um, Parsons was working with used aircraft at the time, and he, he took some sensitive papers that set off some alarms, and the FBI gets involved. They start investigating him, and they found out that the Air Force was watching him, too. And so the big thing was Parsons came out and said that UFOs were going to be used to convert the world to Crowleyanity. So that's a pretty in-depth statement there. And so when the documents went missing, the investigation goes into Parsons, they find out about this, they're like, well, maybe there's a connection. And so they approach Parsons, and uh, they asked him, you know, are, are, are you responsible for this? Because I guess the word of the Babylon working was kind of getting passed around um, in a small circle. And so um, he took credit for it. He said, yeah, he said, I think I'm, I'm responsible for it. And so from this, from the, from the FBI's investigation, um, they started a small think tank. And this think tank picked up where Blue Book left off. Um, basically, it couldn't answer all the questions that they needed. Uh, and the big thing was, what is this? what's the significance of the, the Jack Parsons uh, Babylon working link? And so this think tank gets sparked. They start looking into it, and we can kind of move into the Collins Elite here whenever you want, but that's, that's basically where they were birthed. They uh, were part of this small think tank, and they saw the research that was done on Parsons and that it was a satanic ritual. I mean, it was, it was a cult ritual by the book. And so they, because of their Christian faith, they had hesitations about it. And there was a, just a, there was a, two different factions. You had some that were like, okay, this is, 
Um, this is a guaranteed way that we can make contact. And then others were like, yeah, but this is, this is demonic in nature and these are nefarious beings. Right. Now, Let, we're coming let's, up in, let's, coming oh, up in sorry, a break go. here. I just, that's all right. We're coming up on a break here in about a minute. I just wanted to get one main point in here before we, we break. And that is aside from the UFO incursions, uh, in 47, uh, were people reporting other strange phenomena after this portal was opened uh, by Jack Parsons? Yes. You even have people talking about these strange men in black suits showing up in different places. There was all manner of strange phenomenon taking place. And think about it like this. It would have been the fall off you know, or the fallout. This was just something that kind of came through with the whore of Babylon coming through the portal. This was just some some of the aftermath. This is what was going to happen. Things were going to come through when that portal was opened. And you mentioned there were these two opposing factions within, I'm not sure, the Pentagon. We had on one side those who were, uh, I guess, like-minded with Par- Parsons. They wanted to continue to communicate with these entities, perhaps strike some sort of Faustian bargain with these entities. And then you had within that group... Um, Christians, uh, and, and they objected to this, and they wanted to put a stop to this, and this is the Collins elite, correct? How did they get their name, the Collins elite? Uh, we, there's a little bit of a, of a gray area there. Uh, it has nothing to do with the, uh, the, the elite bloodline, Collins. You know, that, that's, that's where people generally, their minds go, is they think, oh, well, you know, the 13 bloodlines of the Illuminati, but that's not actually the case. Um, the story that we tend to hear – and again, listen, there's a lot of things about the Collins elite that people are speculating on because there's so little information. That's why we set out on this journey. Um, but the what makes the most sense is that they named them the Collins elite based on a certain location uh, where they were meeting. And I'm, I'm probably going to butcher that a little bit because everybody has their own version. Uh, but But I want to make a quick statement here. Um, if you get you – know, the government is filled with so many different types of people from different backgrounds, different opinions, and if you get a big room of people together in the government and you put them all on, on a case, uh, you know what you're going to get is a whole lot of different opinions. And you've got the official opinion that's given to everyone, kind of like the official story, and then as the research committees start working, there's going to be some factions. That's what happened here. Okay, if you could just imagine them sitting you down in a room with a whole bunch of inter we're not talking about just one agency, we're talking about, you know, uh, interagency groups. And you're all sitting down and you're getting debriefed on there's countless UFO phenomena taking place. You know, like crazy stuff that's never been reported before. People are seeing things that uh we're not even seeing in the movies of the 40s, okay? Um they're seeing technology manifesting in public. They're seeing entities, shadow creatures. Uh in some cases there's reports of men in black showing up. Um all of these different things are taking place and it's causing a little bit of hysteria, I could imagine, uh because back in this time period, you know, we're we're dealing with the old world here. I mean, compared to what things are today. And in this time period, it was a very much a, America still had a lot of a heavy Christian ethos. You know, there, there was kind of a, a Christian ideal uh, idealism that was kind of taking place back in that time period. It was a, a little bit more accepted and, and less, um, how can I say this, less occultic in the mainstream. Today, occultism is popular and it's widely accepted. But back then, it was not quite. And so this was kind of new. And people were realizing in the government, wow, there – all of these things, all of this technology, the, the, this amazing technology coming through the hands of Jack Parsons was received through satanic rituals. So they're thinking maybe there's something that we don't know. Now, some people got excited with that. Some people got a little bit on edge. And the ones that got excited, they started out with kind of a mentality of we're going to figure out you know, how they're doing all these things. You know, They wanted to learn. And then the people that were concerned, that's where you get this group known as the Collins Elite. They had a Christian worldview. They had enough knowledge of the Old Testament and the New Testament to understand that God was not okay with sorcery. God was not okay with channeling. Matter of fact, a channeling is mentioned specifically in the Old Testament. You know, it was forbidden. God's people were forbidden to channel any spirits or even to enter into covenant with other gods. These are things that a lot of people in church overlook because pastors want to, you know, give these ear tickling messages. But the Bible actually talks a lot about the demonic, a lot about the supernatural world. And God says you are not allowed to channel and you are not allowed to enter into covenant with other gods. And so the Collins elite said, you know, this is not OK. You know, we need we need to be cautious here. 
And then they started to witness that inside of these government assigned groups, uh, by the way, these groups do not exist. We need to officially, right. Officially, right. right. Uh, on Coast to Coast, we mentioned that this type of a group was called a limited access program or an LAP. And when you're dealing with a limited access program, Richard, no one in Congress has to know a peep about what's going on. Like limited access literally means it does not exist. And if, if, if the lid gets blown, everybody disband and never talk about it again. So that's what we're looking at here. This was a limited access program. Inside of the limited access program, the Collins elite are now in a very dangerous territory because these men are now in opposition in their ideology. They're in opposition to what some of the larger group is doing. The larger group is now kind of embarking on trying out satanic rituals of their own. And let me explain why here. Jack Parsons was successful according to his own biography. But here's the thing we have to realize. Jack Parsons was a man of science. He he lived by the scientific method. And so he applied the scientific method into his satanic rituals, which means that he's going to keep doing these rituals until he gets it to work. He he had faith that Aleister Crowley knew what he was doing. And so he had faith that if Crowley could do it, he could do it. And sure enough, he says by the scientific method, he was finally successful. He says it finally took and we opened the portal. The reason that's important to kind of make sure we hash through that here is because in the occult belief, they believe that the person that opens the portal has to be the person to close the portal. Now, in the occult world, people were probably scrambling to know that UFOs and entities were just pouring through this this gateway that got opened. And Jack Parsons blew himself up by accident just a few years later. 1952, Jack Parsons blows himself up in his home laboratory. And so now the guy that officially took the lead in opening this portal, well, he doesn't really have the ability to close the portal according to the occult belief system. It's so, like a Ouija board. It's like a Ouija board. You have, if you, if you play the game and you open it, you have to, there's a, 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 a protocol where you have to close it. Otherwise, again, that portal is open. It, it, you know, it's unbelievable how real these things really are, Richard. Uh, you know, so many people, they get, uh, watered down by Hollywood. They think it's all movies. They think it's all comic books or sci-fi. I'll take a step further. You got people calling this stuff conspiracy theories. And if people would just take a minute to do a little bit of homework, let me tell you something that really blew this open for us. In 1947, July 8th, actually, of 1947, interestingly, this was uh, just a few days past Independence Day. 1947, FBI document 6751 enters into classification. Okay. Now, I, let me say that one more time. FBI document 6751. This is a document that everybody listening needs to check out. It is declassified. You can download this from the FBI vault. It's, it's one of those documents that lets you know just how much they knew back in the 40s. Because once we know what they knew, we can better understand why they did what they did and what their agenda was. And furthermore, what their agenda has been and continues today. So 1947, this document, 6751, it explains that these beings are not from outer space, Richard. Uh, okay, this document explains that these beings are actually interdimensional beings, okay, and that these are beings that are not aliens, but they're actually beings that live in an ethereal plane. Now, certain language gets used that lines right up with theosophy. Uh, you know, Manly P. Hall, Madame Blavatsky, uh, and so many others. And, th and so uh, how can I say this? I, I really want to try to make this part brief. But this document gets submitted by a, a popular member of academia to the FBI. We have to know the FBI gets tons of documents. Ton I'm sorry, uh, tons of submitted documents. Now, they're not official FBI documents. Uh, once they get submitted, they have to go through a process. But they get a lot of warnings, they get a lot of phone calls, they get a lot of letters, a lot of weird ideas probably get dropped off on their doorstep. And in 1947, when this document came through, it was penned by a prominent member of academia who also was involved in the occult. And he wanted them to know that he had some answers for the, some of the things they were dealing with. Well, the guy that receives this document in the FBI, 
he immediately classifies it. And then he forwards it to a whole bunch of other elite members of federal agencies. Okay. Their eyes only. And then he says, we need to be real careful not to accept this document as fact. He says, because this information was received through supernormal or paranormal means. So all of this information was given to the guy that wrote the document through communication, very much like what Parsons was involved in, communicating with entities, channeling, automatic writing. And so this guy in the FBI says, we, you know, we, we should just go ahead and, you know, cover this up. There's really not a whole lot of merit to it. That's what he said. Now, but, my then he, question, but then he classifies it. <laughs> yeah. So, so if well, there's no merit to this, why in the world would you classify it, put it under lock and key, and then forward it to all of these upper echelon elite members of the Fed? Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. More of my conversation with Justin and Wes Fall when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. I don't need to tell you how important building and sustaining a healthy immune system is these days. And just in time, my good friends at Get The Tea are offering a special package called the Immune Builder. You get one month's supply of Life Change Super Tea. That's eight bags. One bottle of BioAstin. That's 75 capsules. Now, BioAstin or Astaxanthin is known as one of nature's most powerful antioxidants and provides a wide range of impressive health benefits. The Immune Builder also includes one bottle of Potent C Wild Alaskan Sockeye Omegas. That's 90 gel caps. And one copy of the book Natural Astaxanthin, Hawaii's Super Nutrient by Dr. William Sears. There's so much more than tea at GetTheTea.com. Get your immune builder right now. Not available in any store. Use the code UNLIMITED and all your purchases ship for free. The Immune Builder from GetTheTea.com. say you go to your local coffee shop for a latte and you decide to check your email, your social media accounts, maybe browse a few media stories. What's the harm? Well, I'm sure the business owners feel they're providing you with a valuable service. The problem is the chances are the security on these networks is lax or even non-existent. So what do you do? There are literally hundreds of virtual private networks to choose from. Simple. Proton VPN offers a private and trusted solution. Proton VPN is fast, reliable, and stable, and you can easily connect in over 50 countries. Proton VPN is based in Switzerland, home of the world's strictest privacy laws. Proton VPN is open sourced, which means more flexibility for users, and it's independently audited. And here's the part I really like Proton VPN is funded by its community of users. That means you and me. So there's zero revenue from advertising. They really do live by their philosophy people over profits. So the next time you're at a coffee shop or the airport and you're using public Wi Fi, looking to stream your favorite movie or secure your traffic, trust Proton VPN. Transparent, reliable, and secure. Click on the Proton VPN link in my episode notes or go to protonvpn.com slash unlimited. Protonvpn.com slash unlimited and you'll get 34% off Proton VPN's two-year plan. Plus, there's a 30 days back money guarantee. Protect yourself online. Get Proton VPN. Physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here, 
are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Justin and Westfall, the producers of Higher Entities, The Lost Tapes, are here. We were talking about FBI document 6751. Uh, how did you guys find that, uncover that document? Uh, that's, one of the, uh, <laughs> that's one of the awesome things that Chad Riley does for us. Uh, one of the many things he does, but, um, Chad's a, uh, he's a research guru and he can find, we call it the Easter egg hunter. Uh, he, he can find those Easter eggs and <laughs> he was, he, he unloaded, um, man, close to 300, um, declassified FBI documents that he found. And so again, to, to repeat, 6751 is essentially, um, an admittance on, on the part of the FBI or the government that the UFO alien abduction phenomenon is not about extraterrestrials. It is about interdimensionals. That's correct. Yeah, back then there wasn't any, um, the, this little idea of these little green men, you know, coming to uh, to monitor us and to make sure that we don't blow ourselves up and, and that. I mean, that, that wasn't even an idea back then. Back then it was like, hey, this is insane. We need to get to the bottom of it real fast. And they're obviously more advanced than us, so let's, do what we can. In, um, so that's right. Let's bring it into the 1950s because we had that massive uh, UFO flyover the Capitol building in Washington D.C. Uh, then, at some not too distant uh, future after that, we had this legendary meeting at Edwards Air Force Base between Eisenhower and what what we, we've been told, according to the legend, were gray aliens. Tell me about what that was all about. Wes, you want me to grab this? You want to take this? Justin, uh, Justin does um, have that one down a little bit better than me. But if I could, just just real quick before we go forward, um, we didn't get to mention this when we were on coast to coast. But you know, just, we've we've gone into Crowley and we've we've um, kind of digested him. But um, Justin mentioned Blavatsky, so you can even go back before her and to Swettenborg. This is an old idea. This isn't something that just came up. Crowley said today we'll call them angels and demons. Tomorrow we'll call them something else. Um, so he knew what he was dealing with. Uh, Blavatsky can do the same thing, but Swedenborg was, um, he was back in the 18th century and he was visited by angels from Venus. And today they even have a new church. They're calling it and they teach people how to, how to do the same thing to contact these, you know, beings from the other, from other planets. Um, but then you move even forward, uh, from that, uh, from Crowley, you have, uh, Lovecraft, you know, he wrote about some of these things and he drew on Thelema. He drew on, uh, theosophy, um, and so th- th- this idea that these ancient ones who ruled the world millennia ago, um, you know, they left and they're taking a nap somewhere and one day they're going to come back and mankind's going to be toast. And that's, uh, that Derek, uh, Gilbert breaks that down. But the thing I was going to g- get to, this is pretty important here. Um, Powell's and Bergier, uh, they were, uh, French writers and they picked up on, uh, some stuff that Lovecraft wrote, wrote about. And in the early sixties, they wrote a book called the morning of the musicians. And, this book, um, people may have heard of it, they may not have, but one, one book that they have heard of, most likely, is, uh, is Von Daniken's Chariots of the Gods. Right. And he came out with that book in the late 60s. Um, the crazy thing about this is, is that it was so close to Powell's and Bergier's book, The Morning of the Magicians, that Von Daniken got sued. And so without the, without the Morning of the Magicians, you wouldn't have Chariots of the Gods. Without Powell's and Bergier, um, you know, without Lovecraft, you wouldn't have them. Without it, just keeps going back. But it's this old idea, and even in ancient times in Mesopotamia, we were dealing with these uh, these entities that would come and appear, uh, present themselves to, uh, to men. These were the gods of the nations that the Bible talks about. And if you go back before that, you have the divine council, and so uh, the disinheriting of the nations, which took place at Babel, um, God appointed the nations to the number of the sons of God. And it sounds like a great thing. They were helping him. Um, but then when they started to receive worship, um, well, it's all been downhill from there. Right. So these, and these sons of God to go forward. And these sons of God you're talking about are, are fallen angels. Basically, God said he carved out Israel and he said, this is mine. The rest mm-hmm. of it. OK, you fend for yourselves. Uh, basically, the fallen angels are in charge. Exactly. 
Now, uh, to think to think that those fallen angels, Richard, uh, maybe even some of the exact fallen angels uh, that were active doing things back then, uh, possibly are some of the same fallen angels that are appearing as these Nordics to some of these government groups that we're talking about. Right. Okay. So, um, 1953, Eisenhower, according to legend. Uh, disappears. We're told it's some sort of emergency dentist uh, procedure, dental procedure, but he's secretly uh, at Edwards Air Force Base meeting with the gray aliens. What okay, was going on, on there? We got, we got to drop a little correction here. Uh, first of all, that was actually 1954, and ah, okay. they, the, the gray aliens were not until 1955. So 1954, uh, and here's the thing. The fact is, the information is information. You know, I, I like to mention dates just in case people want to go look this stuff up. So, um, you know, that's why I like to give the address. I call it giving addresses. So 1954, that is when uh, Eisenhower was at the Ed, Edwards Air Force Base, and that is where the big the, – the famous conspiracy of Eisenhower's dentist, right, the, the non-existent dentist. And so what happened was according to uh, some of the stories that are coming from Eisenhower's family, and again, th this, this first go-round, there was not a whole bunch of eyewitnesses as there were at the next. But 1954, they say he has an emergency dentist, uh, a, a dental need, which there, there's no record of that by the way. Uh, he goes to Edwards Air Force Base, and there are two Nordics, two uh, Nordics that would appear to be probably very attractive, blue eyes, pale skin. Uh, two Nordics met with him, and then there was a third Nordic, according to the story, that was kind of standing afar off a little bit, you know, almost like a door guy, if you will, a security guy. I don't know what you'd call him. It's, it's kind of weird uh, to think that these aliens have have a guy kind of, you know, running security i mean they probably have technology that they could just blast somebody but anyway uh, i digress i'm sorry uh edwards air force base they meet and the nordics are trying to work out a deal with eisenhower okay they want to work out a deal and uh, in turn basically they were willing to work out a, a deal if um if eisenhower gave a green light that a guarantee that they were that we as an american government were going to stop playing with nuclear weapons you know, that was kind of the, the gist of that. Eisenhower wasn't too keen on that idea. Now, a year later, he's at Holloman Air Force Base. And then uh, he meets with the, there he meets with the Nordics. And what was the deal that was struck there? So there was not actually a deal struck in 54. Uh, there was an attempted deal. Um, but uh, from the, the sources that I have, they're saying that uh, Eisenhower was not willing to shut down the nuclear testing. And so uh, he leaves the Air Force Base. Now, we're going to come back to this in just a second uh, because there, there's a really interesting little you know, caveat here. But 1955, a year later, this is the event that more people have come out about over the years. Uh, apparently, there was quite a few eyewitnesses uh, to what took place in 55. So Eisenhower is now meeting with a group of gray aliens, what we would call grays, and they're working out a treaty. Matter of fact, they, uh, according to all the best sources, including Eisenhower's family members uh, and others who, who, who were there, uh, I guess it was in the early 90s maybe, late 80s, early 90s, uh, there was some uh, – I don't know what you want to call this. It, it was not a conference, but there was a gathering where some of these people spoke, and it was different than what we see today. Uh, it, it almost looked like they were uh, giving a debriefing of what their their knowledge was of this event. Uh, but Chad Riley once again found these old VHS uh, video clips of these people giving these, uh, uh, you know, just deconstructing everything that took place. And these I've never heard of any of these guys, but there were quite a few of them all um, validating that 1955 a deal was struck by uh, by the gray aliens with Eisenhower. And let's not forget that Eisenhower had the Majestic 12 information given to him by Truman when he entered into presidency. That's kind of another interesting thing uh, that he kind of had a head start on the alien program. So this was nothing new to him. And years prior to his presidency, from our research, we find that Eisenhower was very engaged in this type of uh, scenario, uh, getting into the paranormal with otherworldly entities, uh, what we know to be interdimensional. Now, 55. Holloman Air Force Base, they enter into an agreement, and this treaty is, is pretty interesting because they, they did come to some agreements here, and uh, I, I know we talked briefly about this uh, on Coast to Coast, but uh, just the crash course is that the Alien Grays uh, basically had some terms that they wanted met. 
So one would be that, uh, you know, our government would not be involved in, in the affairs of the aliens and the aliens would not be involved in our affairs. They would help us develop our technology. Okay, that's kind of a no-brainer. Uh, they would not make a treaty with any other nation on Earth. Now, why would they choose America, right? Maybe we'll come back to that if we have time. Um, so they, they basically said we're swearing an oath that we will never make another treaty with another nation on Earth. Like you guys are going to get exclusive rights to working with the aliens. Now, they wanted some things in return. Okay, they don't need our technology, but what they do want is that they want to be able to come into our airspace, into our into our land. They want to be able to abduct humans for their experiments. But in this, we can't get involved. Again, we can't meddle in, in their affairs. We got to let them do what they're going to do. But the government said, OK, we'll let you abduct our people, but you've got to provide us the names of the people that you've abducted. And then they took those names on a list and they submitted that to the Majestic 12 Committee. Lastly, the public cannot be informed directly about the existence of what they're going to call extraterrestrials. Those were the simple, um, the simple terms of this agreement. Now, now the obvious question, uh, Justin or Wes, is if these are in fact demonic entities, we're not talking about extraterrestrials. They are uh, otherworldly, they are interdimensional. Why do they need to strike any kind of an agreement? Why don't they just come and take what they want whenever they want? We're I think it leads, up to the, the, it leads up to the great deception. Um, if you try to force somebody along, I mean, like you can't take a horse to the water, or you can take the horse to the water, but you can't make them drink. You know, so they're going to try to sugarcoat this. And, um, and honestly, I think that's um, with the way that this is going to unfold, if they come in and there's so much uh, more advanced than we are technologically and they have medicines that we've never seen and they can cure cancer and they can disarm and they can, you know, take us, uh, keep us from going to war, at least temporarily. Um, people are just, they're going to voluntarily sign up for whatever these things have. I mean, unless they're, unless they have the conviction, you know, that we do or they have, um, you know, other uh, eyes to see what's actually taking place. So I don't, I don't think it's, um, if they were to come in and just all of a sudden, um, start to, take over mankind. Um, I think it'll eventually get to that, but I think that they're still building the infrastructure. They're still, the groundwork is still being laid um, because it is going to be a deception. People will willingly choose to, to follow them, you know, versus following the, the God of the Bible. And, and I is, actually, go ahead, Justin. I actually think that the, the specific there, um, the answer to your question goes right back to probably the most popular Bible verse ever quoted. And that's John three sixteen. Uh, can I can I just quote this real fast? Sure. For God so for for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now the key word here is whosoever will. Okay, whosoever believeth in Him. So we know that in order to come into the door of Christ, we have to we have to accept Christ. Now there, there's more to it than that in the Bible. There, there's quite a bit more to understand in theology, but the simplistic idea is that you know whosoever will, and we have this thing called free will. You know we can choose every day what we're going to drink, what we're going to eat, what we're going to do, and that's part of this this cosmic chess match is that the pawns in, in the cosmic war. You know the human beings, if you want to call us pawns. I, I don't like using that terminology, but that's kind of what what the fallen angels look at us as. You know these we're also the with, prize. We're also the prize. We're the prize and the pawn. We are. Absolutely. And, and the fallen angels look at us, you know, like notches on a belt, I imagine, the, these entities. And so they don't respect us the way that, you know, that we don't have the same character with them that we would because God sees us through Jesus Christ. If we're if we're you know born again, uh, they look at us like empty vessels that they can take over and they can win over. And if they can win us, if they can get us to believe it in them. To kind of take that Bible verse, if, if if we can just kind of go and believe upon them instead of believing upon Christ, then our souls are part of their kingdom in their mind and not part of God's kingdom. So it's a matter of the free will. This is a matter of the spiritual warfare that every human being has to face. Are they going to accept Jesus Christ or are they going to accept something else? At and this I point, does, does Eisenhower know that these are not – extraterrestrials that they are in fact interdimensionals or is he being fed a line as well that these are ets i, I believe that it's very but the fact that he had eyes to see the majestic 12 documents that the fact that he knew all about this uh and that he had interest in these things i and, and not to mention eisenhower was not a christian um 
So I, I really do believe that he probably saw these things as the old ones, the ancient ones. I imagine that that probably came up in conversation. I mean, listen, if you could have been in the room in 1954 or 55 when he met with these things, I mean, I think some of the the, the talks that they would have had would probably blow our minds, Richard. Uh, (laughs) I don't even know. Okay, that concludes part one. Now, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back with a few words about part two. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. That's over 350 episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, Go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Coming up next time, part two of my conversation with Wes and Justin Fall as we continue to discuss secret government UFO programs and the occult. A non-existent meeting takes place and there's a a deal struck and that deal allows the U.S. government to basically sell people to the aliens, not by name per se, but allowing them to just take what they want. In that scenario, the government wants to know who those people are, probably for the sake of damage control so that they can kind of monitor that person, monitor that area, see if they're creating any buzz or any hype, and then even to further make them look crazy. Because back then, somebody was running around talking about being abducted by aliens. They would probably be looked at as the town drunk. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.